this is Big Talk, Michael Glab here. My guest this week in the studio, Amanda Biggs, singer, actor, teacher, and most important of all, mother. Mother. Thanks for joining us on Big Talk. Thanks for having me, Michael. Now, Amanda is starring in the Cardinal Stage Company production of Fun Home. It closes this coming weekend. The last performance is the Sunday matinee on July 1st. Fun Home, based on the graphic novel written by Alison Bechtel about her life as a youngster. What is Fun Home? Well, Fun Home is actually short for Funeral Home. Uh Uh-huh. Well named by the children uh, early on. They decided to call it the Fun Home. I I can't imagine growing up in a funeral home. I oh. can't imagine knowing there are dead bodies in my house and people willingly go into that business. They do. I know. I I spoke to some of them in preparation for this show. I mean, I I had more information than I ever thought I would have <laughs> about or mortuary <wanted>? science. <laughs> yes, yes. I love I love um the idea of turning um, funeral home into fun home. I think it says a lot about making light of a situation that is otherwise heavy and difficult to navigate. This was a groundbreaker when it came out as oh, a book, yeah. and of course now it's a musical. Right. Actually, I've been a fan of, of Allison for quite a many a year. I think I probably go back to 2003 or four, reading Dykes to Watch Out For. Right. Loving, loving the, the series... Fun Home is essentially a story about Alison Bechtel growing up in a highly functionally dysfunctional family <laughs> <laughs> with a father who was, had some mental disorders, uh-huh. uh, especially later, um, definitely had suppressed homosexuality, uh, issues with young boys, underage boys, which kind of gets skirted around. And we say it and we skirt around it in the show. So, so we go back to the Allison's relationship with her father and then her relationships with her mother and her siblings. We see Allison re- discovering her homosexuality. Uh, and then later when um, medium Al is at college in Oberlin um, and she f- finds and falls in love with Joan, her first girlfriend. And they have this relationship that <laughs> Joan kind of yanks her out of the closet, it seems. <laughs> and, you know, Allison's a little mortified. She's, like, freaked out and, and, and finds out she's a homosexual in, in a really funny way. You know, not by having a relationship or falling in love with someone, but by reading books about other lesbians and finding out that, oh, my God, that's me. That's who I am. So that's how she found out, which I think is fascinating. Okay, so looking back then at her father, Bruce's, life in Fun Home through the book. You know, the generational difference of 20 years, how much of a difference it made Hmm. for Bruce's ability or inability to be who he was versus Allison's ability to demand, this is who I am, you know, to come out to say, hey, this is me. You know, here's my letter. Mom and dad, I'm a lesbian. You know, Bruce could never say those things. The strain between Bruce and Helen, his wife's relationship, is apparent in the musical. It's very difficult to watch um, the strain, the tension between him trying to hold everything tightly and neatly together with his OCD and everything perfect, and Helen's just trying to abide and hold on to, you know, she has a few really great past memories with Bruce, 
And I think they haunt her to some degree. And I think that she holds out for those moments. It becomes apparent in the musical, anyhow, that once she knows that Bruce has been charged for serving a malt beverage to a minor and also bringing young boys into the home and knowing once she knows that those were affairs that he was having while she they were married she sort of you know puts her foot down she, and it, it's evident and actually it, it doesn't get addressed in the the musical but you learn in Alison Bechdel's life that Helen asked for a divorce not long after Alison came out mm-hmm. um so there were there were a lot of things that kind of rolled into a ball for Bruce, I think, that really pushed him to possibly, very possibly, commit suicide. The musical kind of insinuates that that's what happened. Well, it insinuates that that's what happened. My father killed himself is something I say a few times as Allison. When I walk out of this production... Am I going to go, I'm glad I'm out of there. Oh, my God. You know what I've noticed? So we've done now 14 shows. Uh-huh. Um, and no, there are very few people who leave dry-eyed. If they leave dry-eyed, they don't leave unchanged. When you were in New York, you studied with a big-name person. Her name is Aprile Milo. So she's a big-deal opera singer. She's a huge-deal opera singer. She's been my, my idol, my role model, the voice of my life as long as I've been seeking out listening to opera singers, so probably since about 2001 or two. You somehow got an audition with this big star. Oh, it was magic, yes. I had a friend who I went to IU with, um, and Aprile was also a, uh, an idea, idol of hers. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said, oh, Biggies, that's what she called me, my friend. Oh, Biggie, I got... I, I wrote to Aprile and told her I was her biggest fan, and I said, I'm in New York. I would love if I could ever meet you or talk to you. And she said she would love to meet me and talk to me, and I could sing for her. And Biggie, I think you should sing for her too with me. The moment she walked in the door and I heard her speaking voice, I, I mean, I don't know, I fangirled and I fainted and I <laughs> threw up in my mouth and I squealed oh, yeah, yeah, all yeah. in the same moment, I think. <laughs> and... And then uh, my friend sang for her, and then I sang for her, I, and I have these on recording, these sessions. Oh, really? There were more than one. There were like three sessions. Yeah, I, I have them on CD still. What did she say? Oh, my. Well, she had an immediate reaction. She had like a, a she referred to her body like as she had been affected viscerally oh. when I sang. She commented on my sensitivity, my emoting, the Italian line, like the natural Italian soprano in me, and she said that... My voice had been touched by God, and I what? I didn't even know what to say. I'm only grateful that I have this on recording, because yeah. I could, otherwise I could easily talk myself out of that accident. Did I make this happened. up or <laughs> That's what? That's right. Yeah. yeah. And it was a moment. I mean, and, and then we developed a, a really great friendship, and she wanted, she said to me, because I was just visiting then, she said to me, we have to get you here to New York. There's the pressure. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Um, and how do we do that? Yeah. Just how do we do that? Raise and money. We raise money. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I came back and I actually, um, you know, she let me live in her apartment. And wow. It was, it was generous. And, you know, I stayed there for a while right in Hell's Kitchen. I, I met fantastic people. I sang for fantastic people. I worked with uh, Bill Schumann, who's a world famous vocal coach for mm-hmm. the opera stars. And he... Yeah, his sessions are 
several hundred dollars per hour. And I mean, you know, my budget had been eaten up in the first two and a half weeks. So, you know, a prelay vouched for me and said, hey, I I would love for you to hear her. And he heard me and he said, oh, my God, I just and he had he'd seen he saw me for several times. He has a a three year waiting list to even be heard as a coach. Um, So I, I felt like, oh, my God, this is that moment that people talk about where luck has to come in, into play for you. And I had that like stroke of really good fortune. And it sort of sort of worked and it sort of didn't. And here I am. <laughs> you didn't become a big star at the Met. No, I didn't. I, so I was stopped. New York a failure? You know, I, yeah. I Okay, both. Oh. I think it was a failure and a a clear success. I wouldn't okay. have my boys if I if I didn't, you know, walk away from that. I I actually chose. So I stayed on the trajectory of New York for the next year and a half, and I threw myself into these international opera competitions, having uh-huh. won um, and placed placed very well in them. Um, People from all over the world. Oh my God! Singers yeah. of every stripe. Do you know the singer Renata Scotto? Yes. Okay, so she was she was there. In this this audition that I was singing, and she actually caught me in the hallway between, and she said to me in her in her way, "I would love to have you come and sing for me sometime." Get out! I know. I thought I was going to die, straight up die. It was it was like it didn't it couldn't be real. Uh, you know, it's like this these people that you esteem as the gods and goddesses of the opera world are suddenly right in front of you. Would success in the opera world take too much out of you as a human? That is, my mom and I have had discussions about that. Um, my mom, who is very keen to my uh, emotional health and mental health and physical health, in fact, um, kind of saw me sort of becoming unglued. There were some big disappointments in New York. Sure. As I was having these huge woe moments, there were some disappointments that hurt me. And I felt like I didn't belong with people, certain kinds of people in the opera world. I felt like I, I don't think that I belong. I'm not like this. Cutthroat I'm, I'm not cutthroat. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm not, you know, the Juilliard pianists who walk in with razor blades on their arms and cut people down to get to the <laughs> top. I can't. I mean, Yikes. I'm the singer who, before a competition, is in the warm-up room, the green room, with all the other competitors and trying to make them comfortable. It's wow. crazy. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. That's just my personality. Yeah. And it's not... It doesn't serve me in the opera world as well. Now, I have some friends who have made it work for themselves and done exceptionally well. Yeah. They're at the top of the game. Uh, so I feel empowered that I can be me. I just was in the wrong vein right. at the time. So, Well, yeah. uh, you also did something to your physical body. I certainly did. Yeah, on recommendation, I had a, uh, a gastrectomy sleeve weight loss surgery, which was... Um, a- a really difficult decision. I thought it would be a very personal decision, but because it was presented to me in a way that if you have the surgery and if you lose X, Y, Z number of pounds and you come back here in this amount of time, you will have opera house representatives lined up down the street to hire you. Like that was the thing that was between me and fame. So that it was presented to me in that way. And I feel like it didn't, like, if it didn't make that choice, 
I would be shooting myself in the foot. Like, what yeah. would all of this have been for if I didn't go ahead the extra distance and, you know, make myself the very best that I could make myself? It was... <sighs> but I thought that... Uh... It was okay to be a large woman on the opera stage. That's changing. And I came along during that change. Huh. It's now, um, they're starting to mic singers now in a lot of opera houses. Uh, the voices aren't being trained to be, you know, the the houses that they should be mm-hmm. um, to sustain the sounds. And uh, so f- in exchange of those big voices that throw us overboard like Luciano and Aprile, we're now getting the smaller framed voices that, some of them do sustain naturally, but a lot, a large portion of them don't. So they're miking them, and they're getting the beautiful, you know, slender figures that they want. I mean, there, this is this is a, a market. You know, it's a marketing technique. Opera is has been failing and falling in ticket sales and falling in popularity in this country for many years. And they're they're doing they the people behind the scenes are doing everything they can to bring it to a more current audience, not the dying audience, the more current, like, how do we make this accessible? What is accessible? Now it's about the way you look and it's about, you know, all of these external things. So I was in a real, it was, it was, um, I didn't feel like I had a choice. Yeah. So I did it. I, I came home and I, within six months, no, it was sooner than that. Within three months, I think I had the surgery. Um, I went through a really well-known, high-quality bariatric center up north of Indianapolis. I had a great surgeon who was fantastically kind, compassionate, capable. And I was a great candidate for the surgery. had no health issues, zero, other than being overweight. And may I ask, Mm -hmm. how? Okay, so I was was nearing uh, 300 pounds. Now, I was 5'8" my height. So I carried it. Uh, I had a lot of strength and I carried it equally distributed. You know, it wasn't awkward and it wasn't killing me yet. So I was nearing 300 pounds, like very close. And um, I had the surgery and uh, the surgery itself seemed to be a success. And within a couple of days, I developed some major infections. I in fact developed five infections and returned to the hospital where I stayed for a week and nearly died. And I mean nearly to the point where I was having out-of-body out experiences. Um, oh, wow, fever. Oh, God, 104 for three days. They oh, that's down. too long. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was, I was majorly, I had um, MRSA. I had edema, so above my stomach, nothing. There was, it was swollen shut. Nothing could go in. I had pneumonia. I developed pneumonia because it took them three hours to wake me after the surgery. There were some issues. Because of the issues surrounding the, uh, the general anesthesia, they, uh, they covered a large portion of the payment of my surgery. I ended up paying not much. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's a lot to pay. So after about, I had a really hard recovery very difficult recovery. A lot of people in this community came to my house to help me mm-hmm. through. I had lost mm, 75 pounds in about a year, and I'd gone. I'd recovered my strength enough to to go back to New York and and start putting myself back into the circuit, as it were. And it didn't work out so well. How long did you stay that second time? Well, that was that was during audition uh, competition season again. So I was there for. I was doing three competitions 
I was there for about a week trying to reconnect with people I couldn't reconnect with. I could I tried and I didn't get response back from anyone. And it almost I don't, I don't know why, but it it seemed like I had maybe lost too much weight, got gotten too small. My voice did not change. I, I didn't lose anything from my voice. I, and and you, you're sure of that by listening to recordings and so forth? Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I'm so keen on, on, on yeah. what it feels like and sounds like and, and from the feedback from coaches that I've worked right. with. So it, it was an, um, it unfortunately defined things for me. It defined that, you know, I didn't belong here. So I'm, I chose then to walk away. Yeah. Entirely. Yeah. Um, I felt like I did this because you recommended it, and now I'm not even getting a response. Can't even show you my weight loss. It's kind of <laughs> sucky. Oh, <laughs> so, man. Yeah. it, it um, And you almost died for your art. I did. I, it was literally a Tosca situation. Gee. Yeah. I speaking mean, of opera. <laughs> speaking of. <laughs> my heavens. But now here you are in Bloomington. You're a teacher. I am, yeah. Where? I teach, uh, my studio is called Big Studio, B-I-G-G-S-T-U-D-I-O. And, you know, it's appropriate you're on Big Talk. I think I'm going to change the name to have (laughs) two Gs in it. Big Talk. (laughs) Yeah, when I was asking for people's uh, feedback on what I should call the studio, a lot of people said Big big Time, Big Voice, like B-I-G-G. They liked B-I-G-G. I settled on Big Studio. And they shared the capital B and the capital S, and I thought that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm actually uh, second in Morton, um, near the B line, across from Wendy's and Seminary Square Kroger in the Artisan Alley uh, co-op building. Now, uh, this yes. I have to understand. Okay, yeah. We've got a, a an almost world-renowned music school. Yes. Well, who's going to come to your private school and oh, why? Oh, right. Nice. Well, I have 30 students. Okay. I have 30 students. I have been teaching now for eight years. Privately. Making a go of it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because This is your daily you know, bread. Yeah. And you know what I thought? At the very least, this much woodshedding, can, it's only going to make me better and better as I learn my new body, as I learn more about the craft of singing. Why not teach it? I, I've trained with some of the top people in the industry, some of the top pedagogues in the field. Why not pass it out? And I have several IU students. I have uh, faculty. Like George Walker is my student. Oh. I have people in the School of Ed. I have lots of high school, college uh, young kids who are phenomenal, phenomenally talented, are the kids of the world right now. Um, it's a it's an interesting mix, and we have two recitals a year, and I love them. I I, I can't believe seeing how it, it's very satisfying to see a person come in. I actually um, have worked with people from beginning, from the very beginning of never having worked but knowing they wanted to, and f- through about four or five years, actually, like I have a student who released an album. Huh. Yeah, and and a very good one. And now you're that person who, when you were a young punk... I wanted that person. You wanted to be, or be like it, or be near that person. For sure. And now you're the one. Yeah, I am currently that person. I don't know how long I'll be that person. Um, It exacts a cost. You know, I, I, it takes a lot of energy uh, to run that large of a studio. I also get asked to do um, 
judging for competitions seasons around here at talent shows in Columbus is there's a lot that goes along with being uh, you know a teacher figure in the town it's I sometimes feel I don't want to say resentful because that's not it I feel like um, when I tell students certain things like you can't give up on your dream mm-hmm. it I, I my finger is pointing back to myself saying um hello, (laughs) what are you doing? Uh, Have I given up on my dream? I don't know. There are levels. Well, it depends on what the dream was. You're singing. Yeah, I'm singing. That's basic. So that's part of it, right? Yeah, for sure. But was stardom Stardom, the dream? Absolutely. I've never aimed for anything other than the very top. And that's been difficult, but I knew that if I aimed any lower, that it would be dumb. I wouldn't stick with it. I I had to aim for the very top. I had to constantly challenge myself in that way. When I left undergrad, I remember one of my teachers saying to me, okay, you've been the biggest fish in this pond. You've been the star of every show. You're the star of this entire town in Bowling Green. Everybody loves you here. You're going to IU. You're going to be a tiny little minnow in a giant ocean. Yeah. And I, I took that and I said, all right, let's see. And I mean, within weeks, I was like, <laughs> what can I, what can I audition for? How can I succeed? How can I, you know, how can I rise to this new level? And I did. I rose very quickly to the level. Um, and I, I don't say that to, you know, just fluff myself up. I mean, I, I saw it as a literal, okay, I'm hearing this from practice rooms. I'm hearing this. This is what's happening. Let's, let's amp it up. And boom. If only the listeners could see how you demonstrated <laughs> this what you became, <laughs> and which leads me to, oh, you're an actor. Oh, <laughs> well, well, yeah, I, I love acting. Yeah. I, I do. I love acting. Um, it's a break from me. It's nice. And yeah. enjoying it, or is oh, it man. is it an ordeal, too? Oh, God. You know, it's it's a little bit both. So this is my second role with Cardinal. Uh-huh. Um, Professionally speaking, uh, I've done musical theater roles in the past, but this for my two professional roles were uh, Fontaine and Les Mis, and that was what, four years ago, and and then now Allison and Fun Home, uh, very different characters, um, extremely like completely different characters. Yeah. Um, Fontaine was, uh, you know, I'm an emoter and and. Uh, this this grandioseness of like looking up into the balcony to perform comes naturally to me. So for me, performing Fontaine in Buskirk was way easy. It was so natural for me. Now, bring it down to Alison Bechtel in the Waldron Center, which is a small sort of, you know, uh, very close-up audience, black box-ish kind of theater where... The instructions in the beginning of the libretto say very specifically a full page to Allison, my my character herself, mm-hmm. you know, basically says, you know, Allison is not acting. She is processing her memory and she's at the draw she's at her at her drawing table. She's, you know, she processes her memory out into the audience, but she is never performing. She's never supposed to be I'm never supposed to be performing. And that has challenged me in, especially in the beginning. My learning curve for that was very, very, uh, very high. And I've, 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 I've honed in on it now. I get it now. Um, you You're know, making to, it work. I'm making it work. I'm processing right to the audience without, without performing. And I'm giving what it asked 
of any character portraying Allison. So, so this role has enlarged you as oh, yes. a performer, as an actor. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, line delivery, uh, you know, as Fontaine, my other professional musical theater thing, I didn't, I, it was mainly a singing role. And I don't, I think I said, I said a few things, but there's a large part of my character that, that just speaks a lot and learning how to, you know, take my voice into a butch you know, how, how to personify butch in my speaking voice and how to personify it in my physicality uh, when it's completely the opposite of my inner Betty Boop. Uh, you know, it's like, um, how do we do this? Uh, I spent a lot of time, you know, trying to get my physical and uh, vocal self there. Did you work in front of a mirror? Oh, yes. Yeah. We, per- we actually rehearsed at IU um, in the theater building with a wall of mirrors uh-huh. and I actually worked with Diane Bazell our choreographer on like hey teach me how how do I stand like a butch lesbian because I'm I'm hippie and I like you know I don't know how to yeah. stop the flow so she she really helped anchor me with a few things that really stuck and it's you know there's lots of butch women in the audience who've said you got the butch thing down no so, kidding so like yes yes isn't that great <laughs> I'm very proud of that. She's starring in the Cardinal Stage Company production of Fun Home. That's the Allison Bechtel story of her young life. But actually, you're playing an older-ish yeah. I'm the, Allison. I'm the reflective Allison. I'm the person who writes the book. At, when, at the end, you see Allison bringing together all of her drawings, yeah. talking about her memories, and then pulling it together into the Fun Home novel. And that's, that's the ultimate release for her. The catharsis, the yeah. Catharsis, yes, for sure. She's a singer. She's an actor. She's a teacher. She's, she's a, mother. a mother. The two boys, right? Yeah. Youngsters. Yes. Little Max and ones. Miles. Do they sing? Oh my God! Yes, innately. Of course, their baby daddy is also an improvisational jazz pianist, blues singer person. Oh, so amazing! Uh, so they kind of have it coming at them from both sides. Um, Talk about a burden. <laughs> I know. I, I, I wasn't thinking it through. <laughs> Max, uh, they both have an innate sense of pitch. Whoa. I mean, uh, I'm I'm starting to sense probably perfect pitch from both of them. Wow. Uh, it's hard to tell yet. Um, Miles, who is two and a half, I caught him. I got him a little drum set from a friend, and I caught him in the living room doing a really complex repetitive rhythm. It was like something like... And how old? Two and, Two and a half? half. Get like, out. Little Richie. <laughs> Holy crap. Wow. I mean, he was, and he was like, Mom, sing the ABC song while I drum. And I, he wanted me to do it syncopatedly, like A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. Like, he He's insisted. got the music in him. He does. And Max, wow, Max is star performer i mean he's like dancer he's throwing the shoulders and the hips and he's <laughs> singing all the time he picks up everything he's already got telephone wired down and i've sung it to him for about 40 seconds yeah it's it's crazy it's awesome the matriarch of a stage empire of the future all the way <laughs> into the 22nd century <laughs> oh boy amanda biggs thanks for joining us on big talk thanks for having me michael it was fun 